what do you like the most about being on the road? Seeing people. Of course. Seeing people. You know, the, the, the traveling stuff, even though, you know, with being a Delta Diamond or Premier 1K, I'll say something controversial. They don't give a shit, right? I mean, you're sitting up front and— the, We they, board the plane first, so you get to sit there the longest. That's cool. Well, tomorrow morning, I'll be lingering on, <laughs> like, all the Premier 1Ks. I got Delta Club shamed the other day. I tried Did to roll in there with a Delta, with an Amex gold card, and they said, sir? El LaGuardia? I said, sir, JFK, this is for platinum members only. Come on. Did you I say, do you know who I am? What's the I, difference I between diamond and platinum? No, gold and platinum. What? Like, I don't know. Well, I'm, I need just I, more miles. I need to know. I need to know. I need to know. I, you, well, you don't have enough a leather bound books or what? I guess. Well, I'm a new gold member, so maybe I need to upgrade. Can I pay for that? Do I, I'll, I'll tell them I know you. Yeah, yeah, that'll get you. I'm flying with Bel- I'm flying with Belsky, sir. <laughs> I'm not anything, but I usually fly JetBlue, and I can't believe. Do you how like many, it? Uh, no, yeah. I don't know. But we just—that's just what we do. I can't believe how many categories, like mosaic, mosaic with disability, mosaic plus war veteran. There's like all these, uh, <laughs> and you're just standing there, and there's nobody getting on the plane. All right, so there's a little trick, right? They can't ask you what your disability is. You may have like, like, well, I have well, one. I'm bald. Well, bipolar. I, I, I've got anxiety. Yeah. Right. I sweat. Oh, I'm. If I pass I row stress. five, I start sweating. I always sweat. Pass row, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we used to fly JetBlue too. It was like Verizon. It was just what you did. Why do you hate it so much? I don't hate it. It's just not what it used to be. It's definitely not what it used uh, to be. The planes, actually, the planes are actually, all very old. I believe on my last JetBlue flight, there was the power cord wasn't working, but at least there was no internet. My TV wasn't working either. Right. So I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs. I was like, can I have a f- well, all right, I guess I'll drink vodka. No, what else am I going to do? You need to download movies to your phone. How much are they charging you for that vodka on JetBlue, though? Uh, I don't think I paid for you it. Just give a credit card yeah, so you're going to notice. Just, yeah. It's all electronic, whatever. It's, all <laughs> yeah. it's in the cloud. <laughs> my vodka bill on JetBlue no, is in the cloud. But no, but that's a good point. I, have, I really don't think I paid for it. I don't think I paid it's for virtual. it. virtual. <laughs> I don't think I paid for it. You know, chat GBT, the uh, vodka. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I fly it just because I fly it, and there's no really better reason than that. I don't know why. If somebody's like, what do you like about JetBlue? Really, I hate it, actually. They have the best delays. They really <laughs> no, do have flight, great delays. You but know what? Sh- you want to hate JetBlue less? Fly Air Canada. Really? Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Why? Why is it so, so bad? Terrible. Is it state-run? Pretty much. Yeah. That's, that's they don't tell you what's going on. Yeah. You could sit on a – you could land at YYZ, which is the Pearson Airport yeah, in Toronto, yeah. and sit there for 45 minutes. They won't tell you anything. But politely, they don't tell you anything. Politely. Right. Right. Do we have any earnings after the bell today? Uh, uh, I think FTX comes out 415. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Should be good. You, what did you think of the Robinhood uh, earnings report? <laughs> About as expected? Yeah. How do they get the fire back? I don't know. They need a new mania. I remember I was on the show, uh, uh, one of the very first overtimes, and Wapner said, so what do you think of Robinhood? <laughs> and I said... Never owned it, never will. Yeah. Why? It's so not a real company. I would have said uh, Costner over uh, what's it? who? Who else played Robin Hood? What's his oh, name? Russell Crowe. Russell, Russell Crowe. Crow. Not yeah. a good movie. PayPal. Oh, that was a terrible movie. Yeah, yeah. We got PayPal after the bell. Costner is my Robin. Prince Hood. of Thieves. Yes, that was that's the, the one. one. That's the one. Was Lyft pre-market or do they go after? If it doesn't have a Brian Adams song, I'm f-ing out. Oh god, oh. that was such a hit. Was it ninety two? Such a ninety one. That's one. Th- uh, could it have been ninety? I don't know. That's it was like, 90 or 91, but it was definitely after Tatanka. Dude, after- I, sa- I sent Michael this clip yesterday. Saturday Night Live did very sneakily, like, their best skit in a long time. They, uh... 
Oh wait, we're not on YouTube. Yes, no, we're not on YouTube yet. That's podcast. I told you. That's podcast only. Oh, stop it! We're giving him a plug. Tell Brian Adams to relax. They don't need a plug. He's Canadian. Yeah, be careful. So he did this skit where it's a movie quiz show. So they, the three contestants, they ask them like movie trivia from the fifties, the eighties. They know every answer, like every actor, every, and then they start asking them about like twenty twenty two. And nobody has any idea. They're like, this movie is up for best picture, best actress. And they start giving them clues. And they're like, this doesn't sound like it's a real thing. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Because nobody knows the movies now. Because they're on a phone. They're they're not big anymore. I know the movies now, sir. Okay. Name one movie that's nominated for best actor. Name what for best actor? Right now. They just put out the nomination two days ago. Colin Farrell. What is it? Colin Farrell. The Banshees of Iber Ishishishishu? Uh, exa- yeah, you might have right. gotten one. I don't uh, know. I would have known. No, I, no you put me on the spot. Give me I could do, do, do the best actors, I feel like. What's, what is three oh, of the oh, best Tom picture nominees? What are the best picture nominees? Oh, I know one. There's ten. There's I'm Spielberg. saying give me three, not Avatar, give me ten. Avatar. Avatar, best picture? Tar, which is horrible. The Banshees. What, I don't know what it's called, but Spielberg's biopic about his oh, life. Oh, Fablemans? I didn't see that yet. Yeah. That's well, that's an, well, that's the other thing. Did anyone see most of these movies? There's a, a big controversy. There's an actress who is in a movie that made $30,000 at the box office. She's up for best picture. The controversy is all of the other actors started promoting her on social media. Oh, is that Triangle of Sadness? What is that? Uh, it's called To Leslie. Uh. So literally the movie made $30,000. Elvis is- wasn't good. A Woman Talking, is that what you're talking about? Oh, Everything Everywhere All at Once it was nominated? I don't know. Watch watch the SNL skit. It's perfect. They, they nail it. All right, how we doing? We good? What's, yeah, what's the hold good. up? Yeah. You good? Duncan, you comfortable? I think so. Okay. John? John, you feeling good about today? Oh, I'm always feeling good. All right. Nicole, are you in position? I'm good. All right. Oh, trade deadline's fast. Oh, my God. We're back. Episode 80. Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Advisor Shares Dorsey Wright ETFs. If you are in the financial services industry, and maybe even if you're not, you probably know who Dorsey Wright is. They were very famous for their research, particularly with point and figure stuff, with relative strength stuff. Well, now you can buy some of their ETFs through Advisor Shares, who has been working with Dorsey Wright since 2016. Again, they do a lot of stuff with relative strength. They've got broad uh, U.S. exposure. They've got sector exposure. They even do microcap stuff. For more information, visit advisorshares.com. So, so every morning, uh, six to seven o'clock, I work out and I watch you on television, and it's really entertaining for me. It doesn't make me change how I invest, but it is very entertaining, and it's nice to see uh, the service you're providing to people and how it makes them aware of why stocks are going up and down in the short term. And so, the big thing, the big picture I take away is that uh, I started Baron Capital in 1982. And since then, there's been one year where the news was good. One year, 1989. That was the year where they took down the wall between East and West Berlin, and we thought there was gonna be a peace dividend, and everything's gonna be fine. One year. 
And uh, in all the other years, we have pandemics and wars and inflation uh, and panics and, uh, and, and crashes, everything. And, uh, and, and what happens? The stock market is 800 when we start and it's now 33,000, so 41 times. We've done much better than that, but 41 times in the face of all this terrible, terrible news. Ron Barron, I mean, that's, a, that's a kindred spirit to you. That's, that's kind of been your, I feel like that's been like a very big part of your message and you've been right, obviously. Uh, what do you think about that? I love it. I, I, did, I didn't see you that know him? part. I met him once. Okay, he was on Squawk this week. That's yeah. I saw him. I saw the end of the. um, They were trying to get him off the air because he kept on talking and talking and talking. Yeah, I met him once when I was at Merrill Lynch. Amazing man in terms of his vision and yeah, it's dramatically different than who than what they usually have on there. Yeah, right. So I thought that was really gratifying. They asked him about inflation. He goes, "There's always inflation." Next question. Yeah, they're like, "No, but it's high." He's like, "I think it's always been higher than what the numbers say." It's he goes, just look at college tuition. Look at the things that really matter. They're way higher than 2% every year. So what? Like, I, is, I don't know, like, where the line is between too complacent or blasé. And, like, actually, that sounds right. But I was leaning more toward, you know what? Actually, that does sound right. Yep. The prices of everything always going up. Always going up too fast. And for whatever reason, we we survive. So, I don't know. I thought that was kind of, I thought that was kind of interesting. Can we give you an official introduction? I've been it. waiting all day for this, right? Bring it on. All right. <clears throat> Belsky is here, guys. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Bra- <laughs> uh, you First are, of all, that's, that's, that's enough. Like, um, just start say my that, name and start laughing. That's right? the best no, intro no, 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 ever. Because no, here's what I'm laughing. You, everything you said on episode 61, which I rewatched yeah. on YouTube, was right. Uh, maybe not like a second later, but you broadly have this thing right. Uh, Brian Belsky is the chief investment strategist at BMO Capital Markets with a focus on U.S. and Canadian equity markets. Brian spent time at Oppenheimer, Merrill, Piper Jaffray, and is a frequent CNBC contributor. Brian Belsky, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank so happy you. to have you. Um, you. Listen, you were saying things that were very unpopular this fall, but you basically got it right. It took, you know, it took a minute. Hang on. Let me just say, we did this last week. We're doing it again. Last time Brian was on, it was the battle train bullish. The S&P 500 closed at— That's what we call the episode, the battle to remain the, bullish. The S&P 500 closed that day at 40.67. Here we are today. It's 40.89. That's what I'm talking about. How about that? Hey, How about bang. that? Not so bad. Dude, drop the mic. Not so well, bad. no, but so what What I think is really important to just start off with, and I know you, you have some great charts here that we want to get into, but what I think the main takeaway is a lot of the things that people said about 2023— that were very negative could still come to pass. But many of these things were also being said last summer yeah. and they haven't happened yet. Um, the consumer pulling back and enterprise spending collapsing earnings. and margins collapsing and earnings collapsing. And definitely directionally things are slowing down, but everybody is aware of that. Um, but it has not had a material effect on the stock market. And if anything, X tech, most stocks have looked really good for two or three months now. So that's well, that's where I wanted to start. No, thanks. X Tech and you know, you can't say enough about equal weighted versus weighted. Yeah. You take a look at the top ten biggest stocks in the SP five hundred, they account for X amount of the multiple and X amount of the bad um bad performance last year. 
And that's what makes us bullish when you take a look at companies overall and makes us particularly bullish. And we teased it when we were on last time about liking small mid cap mm. um, over large cap uh, for the first time in 10 years, over 10 years. And we're going to, I think we're going to show you a cool chart on that. But um, no, that's what keeps me bullish. The timing was shitty, but the premise was correct. Yeah. Um, and we are starting to see that eventual inflation move from um, an escalator to an elevator. I really do. And this whole notion of higher interest rates, of course, we're going to have higher interest rates than zero. Anything's higher than zero. I mean, give me a yeah. break. It's not a bold call. <laughs> no, it's, not, right. it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it works out for them. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I think what people are m- missing is that we can actually go into a period, Josh, that is normal where you're not seeing these crazy upside moves in either direction and the spike in the VIX and all this kind of stuff. I think we're kind of getting back into single digit, high single digit return, single digit earnings growth, either two to three or three to 4%. Uh, We had 500,000 plus print on jobs and the VIX didn't even get out of bed that morning. Yeah. So to to your point, um, let's do this first chart. This is S&P 500 calendar year price returns. Um, this is from your most recent research presentation. Yeah. Uh, tell us what we're looking at here. Well, it's really rare to have two years negative uh, in a row. The last couple times that we've had that has been during a crisis. So it happened in the 30s, obviously, toward the end of the Depression. The only thing that got us out of the Depression in this country was World War II. Then we had in the 70s, which was the oil embargo. Then we had it during uh, the late, uh, I'm sorry, 2000, 2001, 2002 crisis, right? 9-11. Yeah, I I would think that's- Some shit was going on. Some shit was going on in our country. So what's really interesting is all this bullshit about the the bear markets like uh, 2008, 2009 again. We did go. We were two years in a row negative. Two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah, oh nine was positive. Oh seven yeah. was positive. And I just don't see us being negative again. I just don't. And remember, the negative year that we had in twenty eighteen was primarily the fourth quarter. It was when Powell was basically giving Trumpy the finger, and was pumping out high, increasing interest rates in the face of of tariffs. Yeah. And then we went into the Goldilocks side and the pivot very quickly in January, and then things changed. But I just don't see the ingredients. And I'm not being stubborn. I'm not just always being bullish Belsky. I don't see the ingredients to have a double-digit negative year. Yet. I'm just going to fuck with you. The bears are moving the goalposts already. They're saying, okay, uh, maybe we don't revisit the October lows, but the gains for the year are in. Like the NASDAQ's up 9% on the year. What, how much, what's the S&P up on the year? Do you know? Seven, six, uh, 5%. And NASDAQ 9? Uh, yeah, something like that. So, like, that's the moderate bears, not the doomers are like, all right, fine, but you got your bounce, and yeah. now we're going to chop around, and the gains are in. Hope hope, hope you were invested January 1st, basically. You know, I don't know. I could I could take this a lot of different directions, man, with, with the bears. I mean, God bless them. They were right last year. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. You know, we've typically, with our with the way that we model the market, have a dividend discount model, a PE model— in a macro model. For the for the majority of the last 14 years that we've been using these models, uh, 13 out of 14, macro was wrong. 13 out of 14, because macro is is 
dated and backdate uh, time lag type of series, and it was absolutely right last year. So congratulations. I just find that bears are so much more eloquent and smarter than bulls. You know, bears are smart, but bulls make you money. And I just don't understand the now they're changing the narrative. It's almost like talking to a narcissist. They're changing the narrative on this. Now they come up with this new thing called a rolling recession. I'm still trying to figure out what the hell that is. I actually, but I believe that. I th- I think uh, I think there are parts of the economy that had a real recession last year. Housing and technology. Like, like I know it's not a, a recession, capital R, but right. if you worked in any either of those two industries. Let's say, let's say you worked in mortgage finance. Like that's a huge industry. JP Morgan, mil- JP Morgan, mil- another round of layoffs. It's millions of people. Like it's, they're like what they would say is, I don't give a shit what GD- GDP is. This is a recession, for me. Well, I think we I, have personal recessions. Or is that that's very narcissistic? Oh, <laughs> no, that's reflective. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I think I said it when I was here last time too. I think I don't really give a shit if we have a recession. I don't mean to be flippant. Right, because the stock market told you we're going to have a recession at some you point. Mean Maybe your analysis. Correct. Yeah. So stocks lead earnings, which lead the economy. I think right before we were here, we wrote this piece called in September. We wrote this piece, hold the line. So stocks went down 25 percent, which tells you you're going to have a recession. So that's enough for me because I don't really don't give a shit about forecasting the economy. My job is to forecast the stock market, make people money in their equity portfolios. Yeah. So enough said. It priced it in. So I don't know when it is, how it is, if it already happened. Don't care. That's the way I look at it. And so as we take a look at our bull, bear, and base case for, for 2023, I'm set up. Why should I be any different than major corporations in the United States? I really think that when we started to hear about fourth quarter earnings in year-end earnings from Moynihan and Diamond, they, they pivoted. They set the stage, meaning under-promise and over-deliver. So why shouldn't we under promise and over deliver, I think, in our in our price targets. I think forty three hundred's up it, it's in so the So set the stage. What is your what is your bear base and bull case for uh bear is thirty six hundred on two hundred dollars of earnings. We could live with that. Thirty six hundred, you said? I think I think everyone could Wait, live just with let that. me just correct the record because I could hear people saying that's not what the stocks are up. The S P's up six and a half percent, the Nasdaq is up thirteen. Yeah. Oh is, it's more than I so thought. So that's that's a lot. So is it gonna get better than that? Um Yes, on on the overall market. So if you go back, if you go, so let's finish the bull bear uh, yeah, base case first. So bear is thirty six hundred, two hundred dollars. Base is forty three hundred and two twenty, and bull is forty eight hundred and two thirty. So none of that is outside of the range of historic well, norms. No, but so so here I'm going in history. So I was I was giving you shit about the two thousand eight two thousand nine stuff. You know what's really similar to two thousand nine? What's happening right now? So what does that mean? If you go back and look at March to kind of June, July of 2009, it was a low quality prior cycle leadership that was leading us. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I remember um, I just got pushed out of Merrill Lynch and I was at a place called Oppenheimer and we were super bullish jumping up and down saying this is a, this is a generational time to buy stocks. Everyone's super negative. Nobody, it was the climbing the wall of worry and it was Low quality emerging markets and commodities again. The first, and then we started to see the semblance of leadership change with consumer and technology. So what's happening now? You had the stuff that got beat up last year lead. Thank you, Brian. Whether or not that's tax loss selling or whatever uh, has come back. But I don't know if we can continue to have gains in 
some of the meme stocks or the crypto. You or, need to hand off to real, real companies. We need to hand off to real companies and, and with real cash flow and real earnings. And that's why we still believe in value, GARP, and, and SMIT. Okay. Over, over uh, low quality, over small growth, et cetera. Or high, let's say high multiple tech, um, which I think is you know, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We're going to get into the sector stuff because you had some really interesting stuff there. But you th- for your bear case, $200 worth of earnings, $3,600 price. That's not so bearish. An 18 multiple on, on earnings like that. Exactly. But he made it. Not so bearish. <laughs> Do you really think that <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to— Honestly. Give me— thir- If that's the bear case, I, I could, I'll be fine with that. Do you really think I'm going to give that kind of gratification to those people out there that are saying 3000 in uh, on in two hundred dollar earnings, meaning let's go look at the at, at the at the textbooks that say fifteen PE times times three hundred times two hundred gets you three thousand, right? Yeah. Come on, give me a break. I mean, if you saw the movie Deadpool, he talks about lazy writing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's lazy math. That's just simple. I, I don't see how we get there. I don't see how we can get to two hundred dollar earnings. I just don't. If we went to three thousand, I don't think we could stop there. Because no, that pro- would be indicative of something really being wrong. Really wrong. And then right? you have, exactly. So yes. what, what goes wrong? Is it inflation reaccelerates? Is it earnings are just way, way worse? Or the consumer is out of rope and they've expended all their excess capital and things start to get really bad really fast? Is it layoffs finally? Like, what is it? What would, if you had to guess? I think you would probably need to see a massive reversal in the employment trends. So do I, that's what I'm, I, I think it's a shock. Like, we got an upside shock. But like, that's what I think is the thing. Where people all of a sudden say, "Oh, it's too late. The Fed already did too much." Yeah, but well, I mean, look at look at look at January. There's no so you could say that that's the thing that. Well, you're not you're not taking that off the table after the job support we just had. What do you mean taking what off the table? That there's going to be a shock a shocking miss on NFP. I do. I think there will. I don't know what. So I you're not. No so you're right. not. Cha- so when no, the facts change, you're not changing your mind. I wouldn't take it off the table. Okay. No, he's, he's stubborn. Um. Well, yes. Among <laughs> other things, let's do this next chart. S and P. Uh, earnings per share revisions, breadth, and percentage change in uh, next 12 months, earnings per share, following revision. I don't even understand what we're talking about. Tell <laughs> Josh lost you, the plot. You explain this to, to us. So we're looking at um, FY2 earnings. So we're t- taking a look at the 500 companies with respect to their earnings growth rates for next fiscal year, which would be 2024. Okay. 2023 is FY1. We always want to look out and look at the change between over a certain amount of time. And what you want to do through time is this is a contrarian signal. It's a great contrarian signal. You sell at the top and buy at the bottom, especially in some of these historical troughs like we saw in 08 in 2020 where obviously everybody, meaning companies and analysts, all dropped their earnings at once. These are earnings expectations for the out year. Yep. It's revisions. It's earnings re- revisions. Earnings revisions lower, but on the part of analysts. Correct. And when they fall fall through the floor like this, so this means you're the saying analysts, that's a great buy signal. This means analysts are behind the are behind the curve. No, it they're means that they're, they're getting too bearish, right? Correct. It means that they're all kind of doing it all at once. They're being reactive. They're capitulating. They're capitulating, they're capitulating on their own ex- that's what expectations. I'm yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but but okay. But so revisions are bad. But so is guidance. So we've had 50% of companies report Q4. This is from FactSet. Earnings guidance, 37 S&P 500 companies have issued negative guidance. Only six have issued positive guidance. And if you look at where it's coming from, this is not a pretty picture. 100% of materials, real estate, consumer staples, discretionary services, 
industrial, I'm sorry, not industrials. They've all been negative guidance for Q1. Do you think that companies are using this as an opportunity to why wouldn't they lower guidance so that they could step over it in the next quarter? Or what, like, are they sandbagging? Sandbagging. They sandbagging, son of a bitch? What that guy said, sandbagging. So for 10 years, between 2009 and 2019, we played this game of, yeah, you know, uh, we beat the revised number and, you know, well, we're going to lower next. Why are you doing this as Ronald Reagan? <laughs> yeah, I love though. it. I love it. <laughs> no, I like it. But okay, go on. Um, and then next quarter, ah, uh, you know, we beat the revised number, and we're uh, going to buy. Do George Bush. Do George Bush. <laughs> well, so they lower. They're lowering the hurdle for themselves, correct? And then they're hopping over and it. So what changed though in 2020, 2021, We just wanted to society and business in general just wanted to prove that we are alive, right? Yeah. Look at I'm growing. Look at my company. Like everyone was so forthright. They're like, we're, we're fine. We're fine. We're good. Think of all this. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Look up. Think of all this. Uh, how CNBC in particular pivoted, especially Squawk Box, and having all these CEOs on. Right? I mean, that was their mouthpiece. Yeah. And they knew they could get them because they'd call on the Zoom machine or whatever and say, "Hey, I know you're sitting in your ass at home. Let's talk about your company." Of course, they're saying, "We're alive. We're working. We're I doing." I did this. love that era of financial TV where, like, you would have the CEO of a Fortune 500 company in his kitchen, and like casually on a Zoom, and it was so real. It was like uh, it's like one of those film movements where the camera is shaky. Like I kind of I kind of was into that shit. Yeah, I was, it was cool. I was I was doing hits from my mm-hmm. living room with a staircase behind me that leads to the bedrooms. <laughs> so my family was held hostage for an hour every day. Like if you were upstairs at twelve, you were upstairs till one, or if you were downstairs, you ain't getting back up till one. So I kind of like that era. That's a really good point that you make. There was a concerted effort on the part of business leaders to almost for the benefit of their employees confidence to just be like right so maybe so maybe they sandbagged less and now the bullshit is starting again is that the bullshit is starting again you know when the bullshit really started that's really interesting this whole thing this it it was a secular trend that occurred um in kind of mid 2002 i'll never forget it um cisco came out with their earnings in july of 2002 and just got crushed right and that yeah. was the bottom of the that was the bottom of the tech market the buy the dip no one believed it anymore that was the day i bought the cues mm. and i remember because i was having a, a meeting that's when morgan stanley uh, they were living or they, they moved their headquarters to sixth avenue where del frisco's building where del frisco's was and we were sitting outside having the meeting outside and uh, Cisco came out with their earnings, screwed the pooch. John Chambers, who was a effing rock star on yeah, CNBC, yeah. had no a sick, sick flow, man. He looked good. Talking about how great Cisco was. He comes on TV and he goes, I don't know what their growth rate is. And then ever since then, he was the poster child for, oh, well, you know, we're going to be, we beat the guy, guidance number, but next quarter we're going down, we're going to buy back more stock. And then the next quarter comes, oh, we beat the revised lower, but... Bob up da 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 da, and then the game began. Okay, so for twenty years, or eighteen years, CEOs kind of learned there's no upside in giving bold guidance and then killing ourselves to try to hit it. Okay, Correct. and then that was resurrected during the pandemic for obvious spiritual reasons, and then and, and then, now we're going back to normal, yeah. and people are picking up on that as something worse than it really and is. And Moynihan and Diamond. Started it again. They kick-started it when they talked about it. But they backed off a little bit in the most recent quarter. Diamond did at least. Moynihan well, too, didn't they? Well, Moynihan's the one that he was like last year, if you remember when he was talking about the consumer, consumer, consumer. Now he's like, well, you know, uh, 
might be a little tough this year, but you know, starting to do that again. So that's really, I think, going back to the prior game. But it's possible also that he believes that. Like it doesn't all have to be stagecraft. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's not showing up in in any of their numbers, but it's possible that they think it's coming. No, right. I think from if you're out in the public eye like that, there's no. I mean, are you really going to be swinging for the fences now? No, no singles and doubles, man. Well, Mike, that's what Mike was saying. I I totally agree with that. What is the upside? Like the downside is obvious. You have a down eighteen percent stock price right after you report, and you get an activist in your life. <laughs> like so, don't do that. So uh, so I, I all right. I think there could be something to that. I I had not really thought about that. Let's do this average change in S and P. Uh, John, you got this one following bear market troughs. Okay, what are we looking at? So if you look out on average, uh, you go back to since 1950, coming out of a bear market trough, the S and P 500 multiple goes up six full multiple points in 15 months. This is the this is PE expansion coming out of a bear market trough. Where did we bottom recently? uh, I think 16. Yeah, so we're up only like two points from. We're on 18. Yeah. Okay. This uh this is forward or or backward. Oh, you mean earnings? Yes. Earnings, yeah. Okay. So th- so just on PE expansion alone, there's still room. Correct. Historically. Historically. How do you get this average of six? There must have been some incredible PE expansions. What would those have been? Probably coming out of 98. We had that little stupid bear market in, eight, in the summer of 98. 95. Well, well probably. Yeah. 82, it got under 10, I think. Yeah. Right. So that's could have been, could have been, um, could have been 95, could have been. 83 could have been parts of 2009. Yeah. But 2009 was such a moving target too because you had like negative earnings for 400 companies. Yeah. And it was just write downs. It wasn't operating. And remember too, because the the financials took TARP money. Yeah. Nobody was buying financials. Right. Right. Uh, What's this? Relative blended PE, small caps and mid caps versus large caps. Yeah. So if you take a look at the way that that uh, mid caps and small caps are trading relative to the S and P 500. We're at like all time lows with respect to the relative multiples. What is this? What is this about? This looks this looks so anomalous that I'm surprised more people haven't remarked on it. Like the like the is a it, theory is it not just am I oversimplifying? Just that the biggest stocks are also the best companies in the world. I guess maybe it always works that way, but. The amount of operating leverage that Facebook has, that Google had, like, but those market caps are crashing. So, yeah. and this is still persisting. Yep. Well, I think it's, I think it's a bigger thing that we've had such massive outperformance of large cap. We talk about the massive outperformance of growth, but we've had massive outperformance of of large cap, and massive under investing and under. Uh, if you if you just take a look at small cap funds, no one's there anymore. And so I think that's a big part of this, the secular decline for all intents and purposes. You know, back in the, back in the 2000s, we, we were still kind of, early 2000s, we were still kind of playing that game. If you were a mid-cap manager, you were sneaking up in market cap, right, um, and vice versa. But we haven't really, there were much tighter back then, but then we've had this massive dislocation between large and small because people wanted liquidity, they wanted the real companies and things like that. And that's actually what's kept me more bullish on the market. You know, we talk a lot about the consumer, but we've had the opportunity to go around uh, around the country and talk to small and medium-sized uh, private companies, and they're bullish. What if this was an allocation story where so much of the so much of the money in the market has been shifted from brokerage 
to investment advisor and investment advisors, they're, they're building portfolios based on financial plans. And it turns out the financial plans just don't require that much small cap exposure. And therefore, his, you get a historic change in how much of the flows that normally would have gone to small caps just not showing up because look, the RAA market is like $30 trillion. It's yeah. very meaningful. And RAAs- Mostly passive. Mostly passive, but also acting in lockstep. Um, they hear about what their peers are doing and they do the same thing. So they don't want to lose clients. And so what if like that's a structural uh, de-emphasis on investing in small caps and maybe, I don't know what would change it, but maybe that, that's you know got to be part it. of the story. But how, do, but, but, what's, but how do you explain the recent crash? I mean, you're right. It, it had been going lower for the last decade. So that's true. Well, I think small equals speculative yep. to some extent also. And yep. speculative stocks just had a really shitty uh, 18 months, you know? Yeah, we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And they threw in the Russell or any kind of small cap with that. But hearing you talk about that just makes me more bullish in terms of wanting to be in small cap. Because I think what takes care of a lot of things uh, and a lot of those answers would be outperformance in right. active investing. So you get right? a great year for the Russell versus the the the, the Russell 1000. And then all of a sudden people are interested. Think about value last year, right? Value and dividend growth had great years. And then, oh, forgot about that because tech's running again. So who gives a shit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think we need uh, to see kind of prolonged um, outperformance from small mid. But what's, a, what's the last like five year run for small? Uh, probably two thousand to two thousand ten, or to two thousand nine. That decade, small does yeah, better. Yeah, they, they, they had a great run in the two thousands. They had a great run in the two thousands, along with like international stocks, correct? And commodities and, and value. You know what? You know what happened today, Brian? For the first time, I saw Helene Meiser tweeted about this. For the first time since March two thousand twenty two, there was more bulls and bears in the AI AAII survey. Really. First time since March 2022. You have some really good market indicators. Uh, you're looking at the consumer market, and this is very much a watch what they do, not what they say. So in here, you're looking at uh, What's in your disposable income, non-farm payrolls, jobless claims, consumer confidence, consumer credit, oil prices, home prices, and stock prices. And this is above zero. Um, and maybe more surprising than the top pane is the bottom one, which shows financial market indicators. Yes. And we're looking very accommodative. And, and again, this is hard data. You're looking at spreads. I saw uh, corporate spreads or, or junk spreads were at the lowest level in, I don't know if it's a couple of years. I can't remember the data, but things look pretty okay. So what- How it, do you use, do you use these as a contrarian or not necessarily? More so for confirmation, affirmation, but uh, in terms of big, big swings. So it, when it's either at the top or the bottom, so- What's interesting is these don't always line up. No. Okay. So, the, so tell us the consumer market indicator. What's your? So this is crossed back into positive territory. I don't yep. know what's in there. Tell us like how you think about that. Well, remember as you as we talk about a lot, um, confidence and jobless claims and a lot of market indicators with respect to that. But remember the consumer, given it's such a big importance of of the economy, and. The consumer discretionary sector, if you take a look at the performance last year, just to strip out Tesla and Amazon, it, would, it did a lot better, right? And if you look at the equal-weighted consumer discretionary, I think it, I think equal-weighted outperformed by like 1,000 basis points. Was Tesla like 15% of that index at the start of last year or something? It was so big. Yeah, it was too big. And, and Amazon got cut in half last year. 
Yeah. Okay. So if you pull those out, it didn't look as bad. Didn't look as bad. Okay. And now they've come back, obviously, and I think the three best performing sectors this year are discretionaries, um, tech, and communication services. What's in the financial market indicator? Is that spreads? Spreads, put to call ratio. Why is um, gold in here? Gold can be a hedge. And we, we're bullish gold, by the way. Oh, I like gold. Not just because I work for yeah, the you're, Union can, Bank. You're, you're from Canada. You have to I'm be, not right? from Canada. Minnesota. They will chase, Minnesota. They will chase Same you thing. out of there. Same Listen, thing. I like taconite. I'm long taconite because I'm from Minnesota. You don't um, even know what taconite is, do you? No, no idea. Brian, no. What's, what's, do you want to explain to us or should we just like keep a, going? It's like a cheap iron ore. Okay. Uh, there's a chart that I think <laughs> you're going to like from Steve Straza, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago. So we're looking at the Russell 3000, and this goes back to your point about small and mid. And we're showing with a percentage of new 52-week highs. So Strauss has said, and, and uh, he said, more stocks made a new 52-week high yesterday than when the major averages were at an all-time high a little over a year ago. This chart's probably a week ago, but still, point remains. Participation. You want to see that? Yep. 52-week highs more important than all-time highs? Well, he's looking at the components. So it's just interesting that we lost the mega caps, and they've come back a lot. But we lost the mega caps and the market didn't completely fall apart. If you had known that Amazon would be down 55 or whatever it was, Facebook down 70 plus, Netflix down 70 plus, you would have said, holy shit, the S&P's got to be down 30 yeah. at least. No, to answer your question, I think you, th for this, I think 52-week high is more right. important. Because all-time highs mean you already missed it. It's over. Right. So, right. So, especially considering that the last year sucked. So this is interesting. So this is a, this is a big burst in new highs to start the year. And I feel like there's probably no real signal there for like how the year ends, but it is confirmation that um, sentiment is not as bad as maybe the headlines would make you think it should be. Is that a fair way? I to actually don't think sentiment's not that bad right now. Like, do you think it's super yeah, bad? Because everything just went up for a month. Yeah, ex well, exactly. exactly. Yeah, but there's a lot of pissed off people that pundit the sentiment. Move. Pundit sentiment is pundit not good. Pundit sentiment is not good. Right. But if you talk to you know, a lot of my institutional clients, they don't. They did not believe the rally, and they're waiting for what? The pullback. October lows. Um, put up this AAII bulls bears. So, so this is sentiment. Yeah, it's been a year. Uh, Almost a year. We're back at September 2021 levels of sentiment, and then October was horrible, but. It's 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 notable. I I look at sentiment as like the ultimate coincident indicator. Like, tell me what the market did last yeah, yeah. week. I'll tell you what sentiment. Well, doing. well, well, well. Yes, I think the the sentiment is interesting when it gets extreme in either direction. But I think this is a combination of two things. It's not just stocks. These are probably older. Not probably. These are older investors that also have a lot of bonds in their portfolio. Bonds had an incredible bounce in January, and so does yeah. stocks. And so now they're bullish. How much of this is positioning? Do you think? Is it, I this is from Bloomberg. Money managers have cut $300 billion of bearish bets and are now positioned more in line with historic norms, robbing the market of pent-up demand. See how it's still bearish? Just as the yeah. Federal Reserve warns its inflation-fighting battle is far from over. Now it's bad that all these bearish bets came off because we're losing the pent-up demand. <laughs> Look at this, Josh, to that point. Short covering. This is from, yeah. I can't remember who, but it's the highest short covering since 2016, uh, last week. The New Year surge forced many investors who had expected a slow start to cover bearish positions. A basket of the most shorted stocks tracked by Goldman gained 21% as the S&P added almost 8% so far this year. Quote, our equity futures positioning proxy has moved closer to the middle of its historical level, suggesting that the previous equity shorts or underweights of last October have been largely covered. That's a uh, strategist at JP Morgan. 300 billion worth of bearish positions sounds like a lot. Is this, is this noteworthy or not really? 
It's mm. a great question. Um, again, I think the hedge funds had a great year last year, so congratulations. Uh, I think they started to believe their own bullshit heading into this year that the first half was going to suck, and they got squeezed. Um, but going back to the looking at sentiment in particular, the best way to gauge sentiment is go out and talk to clients. And the majority of clients that I talked to did not believe the January just, rally. Just in hedge funds or just across the board? Across the board. Yeah. Institutional long only money. So that's why it doesn't surprise me to see February being, for all intents and purposes, more mixed, quite okay. frankly. Okay. Um, this is you. Percentage of stocks outperforming, trailing 12 months. This is an amazing chart. Yeah, let's 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 stick on this for a minute. So this should favor the stock pickers, finally. Yep. So tell tell us what's going on in the first pane. So this is a chart that we put out every month um, in our monthly chart book, and it shows the percentage of stocks outperforming the S and P 500 over the trailing 12 months, and shows that trend. So you saw that going down, down, down for the majority of really for 10 Fang. years, right? Fang. Yeah. And then you've seen um, a decided change in that, especially heading into the end of the year. What's really interesting, if you if you also overlay uh, like earnings revisions, uh, the second half of the year, especially the fourth quarter, earnings revisions in tech, this, the earnings stability score for tech, if you just take a look at the standard deviation of earnings, spiked for the first time in several years, meaning analysts are all over the place. In terms yeah, of, they yeah. didn't know, right? Now you're starting to see analysts tighten up their tighten up their the estimates. The consensus again. is getting tighter. Again. Correct. Again, okay. so um, the standard deviation is dropping again. So if you take a look at stability of earnings, tech is still the most stable earner in the S&P 500. Believe it or not. Really? Yes, and way more than than staples. By the way, we're going to get into that in a second. Um, and as you know, I hate staples, but um, this is a this is a promising I hate, thing. Uh, Office Max. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying sixty percent of stocks are outperforming the S&P index over yep. the last 12, like trailing 12 months. Like that's a, that seems like a very high percentage. And then, that's a lot of dispersion. That's like a lot going on. Then you, then you, if you take a look at where, where we've seen from a sectoral basis and all these bets with respect to, let's say energy and utilities, right? Where the majority, all the stocks, like a hundred percent of the stocks in energy have outperformed. Right, which you would have expected. Yeah, so okay. that tells me that it's over. Once once it or reaches that point, part. that's correct. Cons that's consensus. Super consensus. Uh, that's interesting. So, what does it say about real estate that only thirty percent are outperforming the S and P? Is that where the opportunity is? Yeah, I think. Well, again, or a clue. REITs are a great theme. Depends upon what, if you not want to office buy it. REITs. Well, not, well, technology REITs or industrial REITs, Hospital right? REITs. Hospital REITs. What was the REIT REITs. that you spoke about years ago that did all of Amazon's uh, uh, PLD? PLD. How are they yeah. doing? It's, I mean, it's it's been a, a good stock. I don't know where it is right now. I have since I have since left the building on that. Uh, it's it's whatever. Um, VNQ is in a no man's land. The Vanguard uh, REIT index ETF, the like the main one, because people don't follow indexes anymore. They follow ETFs. It's like in the middle of nowhere, basically. It's Simon, nice Simon Property looks pretty good. Uh, yeah. Well, Simon Property is like the closest REIT to playing the consumer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about I want to talk about uh, Staples because, Brian, a couple of weeks ago, Vornado still looks like shit, by the way. I was asked— uh, Vornado. Whatever. It's Vornado to me. 
uh, <laughs> Josh and I were talking about consumer staples, mm-hmm. and I was looking at Walmart, Pepsi, and all the names, and I was saying, why the hell are these stocks trading at such expensive multiples, whatever multiple you're looking at? So you write in your sector strat- uh, summary, um, defense is expensive and excessively consensus, largest relative valuation expansion in decades. Please opine. What are these stocks trading at right now? Let's start what with that. What was Pepsi? Like 23, 24, 25? I think it's so in the, if you take a look at the consumer staples multiple, relative multiple, it expanded in 2022 more than it ever has in the history of the sector relative to the This market. is because long onlys have to buy something and that's the perceived safest thing to buy in a bear market. Staples, utilities, and then playing the energy trade. Cause yeah, because it was working. Because okay. it was working. So utility is also very expensive. Yeah, I mean, all these people uh, talk about long, avoid long duration assets, right? Meaning high multiples. So what's shorter duration and then, than sales? And then they buy Pepsi yeah. at 30 times earnings. Yeah. Or they look like, yeah. I mean, you were talking today about Nextera, great company, yeah, right? Yeah. If you remember, I was thinking about this when you were talking about it today. I didn't have a chance to talk on TV, by the way, today. But yeah. um, Nextera was a hedge fund darling. Yes. And then I got crushed yes. in 2020. That's when I bought it. I bought it in March 2020. I still mm. own it. But Would great. You buy it like 40? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, of course, write checks to FPL every every month, yep. you know, living in Florida. But um, it's the problem with, and it even goes back to the small cap. It's thing. not cheap right now. No, 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 it's not cheap. But so I'm worried about the market. I'm going to buy utilities and staples kind of blindly, right? Or I'm, I want liquidity. I'm just going to buy large cap. So it's just, it's these binary decisions that. I think the majority of that's over. Now, what's really interesting about staples is the sector is going to get bigger because there's going to be some some new stock constitution. I think it's in later. I think it's in March where they're going to take out a bunch of tech stocks and put them in financials. Meaning, I think payments. Russell is in June or May, and Wait, somebody tech is- to financials. So Visa, oh PayPal stuff like that. Visa, PayPal, the payment are going into financials. Target. Is leaving discretionary. Yeah, going to Staples? And going to Staples. Yeah, that's where it I mean, belongs. That's, that's, of course that it does. Sense. That makes sense. Of right. course it does. But I mean, that's SP. That's the SP. Yeah. But that's going to shake up. So that's actually, to me, bullish tech. If you have three or 400 basis points you're taking out of tech, I mean, I don't want to be more than 25% of my portfolio in tech. Right. But think about this. If you're taking out three or 400 basis points out of tech, that gives you an opportunity to be a little bit more selective and you actually be, can be overweight tech. So, so you're saying there's going to be more staples in the index now. Correct. But look at this. Okay. So, so Brian, within within staples, you break this down into beverages, food and staples, yeah. retailing, food products, household products, personal products, tobacco. Why are beverages trading at 25 times earnings? Why are, are uh, household products- Let's not rush to judgment. It's possible that Coca-Cola is about to make an AI announcement. <laughs> why, are, why are household products trading at 25? Why is toilet paper trading at 25 times earnings? How soft is it? <laughs> Clorox has a blockchain announcement coming. That's got to I don't know. That's safety, just, safety, safety. Same that's thing. That's what I was going to say. That's all safety. It's too much. It's too much. It's too it's n- Where's, where's your safety when you're paying the highest multiple in 20 years for these stocks? No, like, you no, don't have any. Yeah, no. I mean, well, except for tobacco. But what do right? we mean by safety? We mean lack of volatility in the share price? Or con- Check. Stable earnings? Stable earnings, check. Stable demand? Yeah. So, like, that's the safety component. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it'll show up in what the stock actually does. But no, that's but that's how you, people feel. That's why if you take a look at valuation, you take a look at earnings growth, they're not defensive like they used to be. Period. 
Maybe tobacco is because they're cheap, but they're cheap for a reason. Well, how do or we define booze. defensive? Are we talking about the stock price? Well, I always grew up lo- learning that no matter what, you smoke or drink, mm-hmm. right? And actually, you smoke and drink more during recessions. Guilty. So th- bingo. So I, so that that from an inherent storytelling and thematic, that's why you want to own Everybody staples. gets – everyone agrees to that. Everyone gets that. Everyone yeah, gets yeah, – it's yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah. It's easy peasy. But now – I think that they've overstayed their welcome. I mean, they have some fundamental problems. General Mills has some fundamental problems. Kellogg's has some fundamental problems. Campbell Soup does. I mean, do you really want to own these names in here? And the answer to me would be no. Right. So that's a source of opportunity for other sectors that might now be over underweighted because of this perceived risk versus perceived safety stuff. Correct. Okay. But the but I mean, honestly, where if, if the the financial world is disconnected from the real world, if you actually go talk to the Real world people walking down the street. Are, do you think people think we're having a recession? Duncan, look at this. Duncan, want to weigh in? I mean, it seem, things seem okay in New York. Okay. People aren't walking around saying we're in a recession? Not that I'm hearing. Okay. John, what about you? Yeah, same. Okay. I would say the same. Like from people I talk to in my real life. It doesn't come up in bars and stuff, no. Like they're, they're just like, yeah, Biden sucks or whatever, but they're not like the economy is terrible. Nobody's really shot down it. the balloon, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gen- yeah there's a little balloon chat. Look at the General Mills price to sales ratio. Why? Why is it going up and up and up? Uh, General safe. freaking Mills. Safety. Um, Yo, play, baby. Let's talk about you did a chart. <laughs> uh, you've got all these valuation composites. Here is communication services. Yep. Uh, so Google is in the midst of its worst two day return. Since March of 2020, Google's down 12%. I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So a lot of air came out of of here. What's in communication services? It's it's Facebook and Google? Because it's only existed for three years as a sector. So they they pulled stuff out of tech. And they put it in here. Right. And Netflix, so it used to be Facebook, yeah, Netflix Google. machine, the Google machine, Meta, um, Disney, Comcast, right. Verizon, AT&T. They all got killed. It's a weird mix of it's a weird mix because you've got some of the highest tech firms and then like baby bells. By the way, and right? there's AT&T and T-Mobile are in here. Yeah. It's yeah, a, it's a weird mix. They of took the telecom yeah. sector and they took some out of tech and they put it in there. So to me there's two things. It's the quintessential barbell sector. Mm-hmm. Right? Consum- like it's like discretionary entertainment and then like your cell phone bill. Correct. Okay, got it. Right. Um, and from a thematic perspective, it's the three C's of communication services. So cash. Caring. <laughs> cash, content, Community. and consolidation. Cash, content, and consolidation. What? Those are like the three main Big things themes. going on. With- yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Right. Big themes. Okay. So, I mean, how many streamers do you have? All of them. All of yeah, them. all of them, right? Do you need all of them? I, said, uh, we, I do, we but- We have Peacock? Right, you know sure. why you need all of them? Because everyone that lives in my house has their one favorite yeah. show that if you cancel, they're going to kill themselves. Right. Quote, that's a quote. But so this is showing that these stocks relative to the S&P are as cheap as they've been since the bottom of the GFC? Correct. And we are very bullish this sector. That's our concern. Paramount and Showtime are merging. So maybe that'll be one bill instead of two. That'll be cool, I guess. I own three of these stocks, Facebook, Disney, and Netflix. So tell me more. Why are you so bullish? Because now I'm getting more bullish. Do I do well, I need I leverage? Don't like, I don't. No, I don't like Meta. <laughs> I don't. I don't like Meta. I sold Meta a number of years ago and put all my all my Meta money into into Google. So and I was wrong on Netflix for the first half of last year, and then I put Netflix in my value portfolio. I actually made money in Netflix uh, miraculously. Netflix is a value stock now, according so, to the, so is Facebook. The Russell one thousand value. So I put it in my value portfolio about a month before I got into the Russell one thousand value. Good for you. Sold Disney 
put in Netflix. I still think Met, uh, Facebook can monetize the shit out of Reels. I know they spent a ton of money doing it, but like I am on Instagram a lot, and I'm just I'm just scrolling. I don't do TikTok because I'm a patriot. They're just but. cannibalizing. If they if they're if they're pushing I, you to Reels, they're they're not pushing you to whatever they were pushing. I think you the to pie is, the pie is going to expand. I think their advertising I mean, pie is going to expand. The stock price is saying that you're right. So, uh, are U.S. stocks a buy? Well, wait, let's look, wait, let's look at this chart. So, so oh. setting this up, there's some data track, uh, Nick Colos and Jessica Rabe. Uh, so they say they have a great chart showing the 100 day rolling performance of the S and P 500 relative to international developed stocks. So they say on average, MSCI EFA has underperformed the S and P 500 by an average of 3.4 percentage points since 2010 over any given 100 day period. And right now over those recent hundred days, They've outperformed, international has outperformed the U.S. by like 15 some odd percent. So relative to the rest of the world, are U.S. stocks a buy again? This is literally off the charts. Yeah, pretty much. Right? Yeah. L- literally. That's And that's what, 100% U.S. dollar story? U.S. Like dollar this, has pulled back dramatically. This is a dollar story. Um, it's also, uh, the broken clock was finally right last year. What, what, what do I mean by the that? broken clock is uh, don't buy, don't be a home don't be a home country bias yep, by the whole buy, world uh, buy international you know they're they're the real thing and <laughs> you uh, know I mean Europe's a value trap what are they they're still raising rates what are they making right what do they do over there China's a house of cards do you really want to buy emerging markets in China now the answer it has to be no wait did you do who, who pushback who no no who came in here and said where else are you going to put your money. Japan is an old age home. It was Colas, no? Wait, what are they they f***ing say? Oh, Europe's a museum. Japan is an old age home. China is a jail. (laughs) Where else are you going to put your money? Which Okay, but, okay, but. It's not very PC, John, next chart. Look at at the FTSE 100. Literally at an all-time high, and it's done nothing forever. Forever. Yeah, well, yeah. This is not bearish. What do you got to say to that? What's in this FTSE? (laughs) It's like... It's like chimney sweeps. Dude, I played footsie back in the 70s. <laughs> Bagpipes. What's what's in the footsie index? Is that Benji. Can you find out? Is, is Lloyd's in there? Lloyd's of London, sure. maybe. Yeah. I bet it's a lot of like Brit- big banks and- uh, uh, Oil companies. British Telecom. Right. That's what a double top. top British Telecom. What is that? Verizon. It's, isn't that a double top? It's, it's Verizon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you could do that. Why? Of course you can. I love the British. Our British and uh, listeners might be offended. All right. Uh, what is in here? Here we go. Uh, who cares? Let's see. Bed knobs. So, no, I'm only kidding. Just a Barclays, BP, British American Tobacco, Coca-Cola, HBC. I'm going in order, not a market cap. I don't know. There's the HSBC. Uh... Whatever. Anyway, who cares what's in here? It's at an all-time high. Yeah. That's, those, not, that's not bearish. So, all right, but it's not a, not most of the uh, international individual country stock markets don't look like this. This could be an anomaly. It's not an anomaly. It's international not. charts look good. Yeah, but they're not making all-time highs. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Is the, what is the DAX doing? Uh, you care about any of this shit or not really? How come? Um, first off, uh, <laughs> I don't have research. I don't have published research on it. Okay. I can't uh, invest in those companies. Okay. I think it's best in U.S. companies. Okay. And here's the DAX. That looks. I mean, that doesn't look bad. I think from. No, it doesn't look bad. This goes from the general hatred of of hating hating on the U.S. and and still, still. Yeah. Well, the U.S. always sells at a premium multiple, at least in the last twenty years, to these other markets. And if you're uh, a global asset allocator and value is your primary lens through which you view the world then of course you're going to hate us stocks relative to 
the quote unquote opportunities overseas. Yeah. Um, well, Canada m- massively outperformed the U.S. last year. Yeah. Thanks to energy and materials. And that makes sense. Part of financials, but Canada isn't all isn't a country of of just banks and oil companies. They got some great companies up there, like Kushtar. If you know what Circle K is, that's Kushtar. Shopify. Shopify, amazing, yeah. amazing company. Aritzia, amazing company. Um, Lululemon, even though it's listed in the U.S. Um, Waste Connections, 80% of their business is done in the U.S. The Rails, CP and CN. Yeah. They've got great companies up there. Not, yeah. And it's not just a bank or not just Good oil. bands, too. Rush. Brian Adams. Brian f***ing Adams. That's right. That's all right, right, these are the top five companies. Shell, AstraZeneca, HSBC, Unilever, BP. So they're all I mean, massive companies. Obviously. Oh, oil, energy. Hmm, interesting. Rio Tinto is another one. Yeah, no, Europe in general, there are great companies that you can invest in individually, but it just seems as though it's very far-fetched to predict a year where the European stock market does great and the S&P is not No, it's not. not it just happened. It just happened in no. the last 12 months. Wait, how much was Europe up in 2022? Dude, it, the, uh, I think the, the, the FTSE 100 was up, was up 8%. No, Europe. Continental Europe. But it can happen GK. if the value shift continues. It will happen. That the and S&P, it just happened. S&P underperforms, but I'm talking yeah. about, uh, didn't we talk about this on Tuesday? Like uh, only 17% of the time is the rest of the world up with the with the S&P down going yeah, back rare. like 50 yeah, years. Like it's very it's rare, rare yeah. Is, yeah. is the point. Yeah. yeah. So if you were like super bullish on international stocks, you sort of also have to think the S&P is going to have a good year. Mm-hmm. That's like reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. John, let's move to Exhibit 30 from Bank of America. NASDAQ 100 earnings have been lagging S&P 500 earnings for 15 months. This is kind of interesting. Uh, Josh, you this in here. What are we looking at? This is, this is, uh, this is fairly rare. Um, this comes from Savita. And I think the point is that, you know, a lot of times you can look back at stock prices and you can kind of deconstruct, oh, the stock market was right after all. This is what should have been happening. Oh, here it is. I'm sorry. I, sorry, I didn't explain this properly. This is the NASDAQ 100 earnings as a percentage of, of S&P, 500. S&P 500 earnings. But so, like, we're talking about these decompositions, uh, and we're talking about the rejiggering of the indices and tech being smaller. And then you look at something like this, and it's like, oh, well, that is actually what should happen because look at earnings. So, like, yes, tech should be smaller. Correct. Okay. So, I, I just, I find that kind of confirmation, like, a little bit, uh, like, a little bit, uh, like, I like the continuity that those two things are in the same world. Brian, was there anything last week that you heard from Apple, Amazon, or Google that scared you a little bit? No. You're saying uh, you think inflation is about to go from an escalator down to an elevator down? At some point. <laughs> All right. Like, the first half? Sun's going to come up, too. No. <laughs> No, I think probably more toward the second half. Okay. Uh, if that's true, then you got to you gotta believe in this NASDAQ rally. No? Like the, the start of it. You got to like— Parts of it, yeah. You got to look, look at some of these higher multiple techs once again. It's tough. I, I, I think, I think um, those high multiple, high duration assets are going to have a hard time. I really okay. do. But if you go back to the question with respect to Apple— I think investors are going to pay for stability. They know what Apple is. They know what they're making. They know what kind of money. They know their earnings stream. I'm going to pay a higher multiple for I know what the company does. And then, you know, with your tech holdings, I've been a big believer in, and I'm not saying you have to lose weight. I'm just saying you got to tighten it up a little bit. You got to tighten up your You're talking to Josh? Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. 
I'm well, trying. It's Super Bowl weekend too. Yeah, you yeah, got pizza yeah. rolls, you got pizza. Sunday, Sunday will be an exception. Chips but, and dip. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no. Anyway, so for every every higher multiple tech stock, you should try to higher than the market multiple. You should try to match it up with a lower than multiple stock. Barbell the shit out of that. Barbell the shit out of it. I love that. Yeah. I, are you? I've always felt that way. Are you coming in here with COVID? What's all those um, halls? Lost my voice. I started running again. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Johnson got true. So I love the Peloton. Is that the Johnson and Johnson halls or the Pfizer? What are you running from? A lot, baby. Oh wait, please let's stay on track. Did you hear about this? The Bureau of Labor Statistics is talking about changing the way they calculate CPI. Anyone hear about this? No. All right. I sound like Jay Leno. You hear about this one? In a notable wrinkle, uh, this coming Tuesday, the BLS will release January consumer CPI. Uh, That should be exciting. Offering the first major read on inflation in 2023. In a notable wrinkle, it will also tweak how it weights different goods and services based on Americans' recent buying patterns. Previously, the agency has updated those weights every other year, adjusting price swings in anything from bananas to used cars and how those ought to affect the overall inflation index. Um, They give examples, gasoline, blah, blah, blah. So this is going to be a reweighting now, it sounds like, every year which will change the basket. Um, but they're saying don't expect like a huge change to, to come from this. Any any thoughts on what, what we could expect with the new uh, CPI report hmm. or what, what you think people are looking for specifically? I just think directionally. It, it's not so much a number anymore. It's the trend. And they want to continue to see that trend going down. Yeah. And services x shelter, services x shelter, services x shelter, right? That's a, that's what they keep harping on in the speeches. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so I mean, look how rents are high, and I mean, but typically, when if you take you go back in history and see when we've had these rent shocks, like even in New York City, we didn't have a rent shock during the vid. We didn't yeah. relative to two thousand nine. We had like a month where nobody did anything. And then all of a sudden, young people started taking rents again. Right. There was about a three or four month window in 2009 where you could actually even rent a co-op. Yeah. They'd let you in. But then when started, things started turning in the summer into the fall, couldn't get into a New co-op. New York's like a bad example for everything, though. New York is New York. It's, it's, it's like kind of a, it's an aberration in the midst of an aberration. But even like Minneapolis, my, my hometown, um, they're still building, building, building. And you look at the urban renewal in some of these Midwest cities and it's, that's been, the rents are high. Well, I hope you like your apartment because if you're going to be working from home two days a week, <laughs> you know, uh, yield curve, just, should we just throw it out today? The spread between the two and 10 year treasury yield plunged to negative 87.3 basis points, the most inverted since October 2nd, 1981. Ugh. Like the police had a number one single the last time the yield curve was was this inverted. Just, just tr- th- like it's over? Like throw it out or like what do we do with this? You know, this is dangerous because of it, it's, the, it's different this time bullshit. Right. Um, and this one actually works. Yeah. Historically. Yeah. What's the joke? It's um, it's uh, forecast the last nine, uh, the, the last four recessions, the last nine times or something like well, that. Well, wait a minute. No, but this wait one. A minute, just, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Ten for ten. Hang on. Twenty nineteen, it inverted, and we had a recession. Right. There was probably a it reason. predicted COVID. Yeah, if you think about, it is pretty. Hold good. on. You heard what Cam Harvey is saying. Now, too many people are watching it, so it might lose its like efficacy. the VIX. Well, not just that. That might too. lose its efficacy because people are now adjusting their behavior because they know the inverted yield curve is bad. 
And if too many people are focused on it, like economists and policymakers or whatever, then maybe it loses some. Maybe it loses some of its ability to surprise us. One of my favorite quotes of all time is about markets from Ben Wad Mandelbrot. He said, "The trend has vanished, killed by its discovery." Mm-hmm. And I feel like this might be one of those things mm-hmm. where everybody knows about it. Yep. And also, there's a term for that where scientists studying something in a lab change its behavior by the mere fact that they're being studying it. Yeah. What is that? Ter- what is that word? Does anyone know? It's called the Cam Harvey effect. That's right. So the Cam Harvey effect might be in play here with the uh, yield curve, or what do you think? I'm thinking more and more. It's so dangerous to say that. You don't want to be the guy. You don't want to be the guy coming out. No, well, the podcast (laughs) is going to be that guy. The guy on the podcast saying yield curve. Forget it. It's apparently called the observer effect. Uh, That makes sense. The observer effect. All right. I'm very. But something uh, about forward guidance and all Fed transparency and and Fed intervention in the bond market, like it is so much different than it was in the say the 40s, or 19. I mean, well, so go back. 1982 though ushered in one of the greatest bull markets of all time, within a year. But in 81, dual def. We had we had a double yeah, depreciation. The whole early 80s was a shit show. Yeah, yeah. We had yeah. You ended up with a PE multiple of like nine. You know, on the S&P, and nobody was ever going to buy a stock again. Ever. Okay. Just like um, no one's ever doing 60-40 again. Can I tell you something? Volcker gets a ton of credit for breaking the back of inflation, blah, blah, blah. I also think that's when the baby boomers all turned 30, Ooh. and there was a huge demographic benefit tailwind coming into the 80s. Um, so, like, people want to give, like, Reagan credit and Volcker credit, and of course they should, but also— <laughs> You had like 75 million people go into their peak earnings years all at the same time. So Lyft, sorry to jump in, but Lyft just missed and the stock is down bad. Uh, first quarter revenue, they're estimating for 975. Another guy down. The The previous estimate was 1.1 billion. The stock is down. Uh, is, tell me if this is bad. The stock is down 20%. You know when you use Lyft, like you use Uber ninety nine percent of the time. You never, I mean, you use Lyft never. When, when there's been like a gunshot when, wound, no. and you're gonna bleed in someone's car. <laughs> you don't want to f- your Uber score up with that. So if you need to get to an emergency room, no, you that's lose the Lyft perfect when, time when, for when, Lyft. when Uber app is down. What? Well, don't edit this. I see you already with your finger hovering over the button. Today's show is sponsored by. <laughs> um, this is the New York Times today. Is this one of these headlines where we're gonna look back and be like, "Oh man, we spoke too soon." Um, the colloquial way. What recession, this is the headline, what recession, some economists see chances of a growth rebound. The Federal Reserve has raised rates rapidly, but instead of cracking, some data point to an economy that's thriving. And basically, it's a good article. It's about the narrative that everyone had going into 2023, uh, which is that this is the year we pay the bill for the excesses, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then we just had a half a million jobs added in January, which kind of forces everybody to maybe change their minds. What do you, what do you think about that? I think to me, um, the thing that no one can explain is this whole notion of how low unemployment is. I don't think anybody has a really good explanation for it. I do. It. Hold on. <laughs> Nor, but also... <laughs> Listen, um, but also heading into this, remember this whole notion of high wages, we can't find anybody to work or increasing wages, but actually wages have rolled over here a little bit. Now I can explain some of that because white collar wages have gone down relative to 2021, clearly, and blue collar is going up. So in net net, that's still the, the, the high wages are going down faster. So that's why wages, but 
But I don't, so my question is, I can't explain my, my, where I'm going with this, I can't explain how we would get a recession if we have such a strong job market. We talked about it earlier. Yeah, you can't. You can't. You can't. You get an earnings recession, which, you know, you you can't get like a real lived-in recession experience if everybody's working and nobody could find enough workers. You just literally can't. So, I mean, that's, 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 but how do you explain why there are so few people to work? Is that like, is that the yeah. part that, that's, that's uh, demography and immigration. That's it. You had a million people die from COVID. You had probably 10 million people who said, I'm done working, I'm retiring, who maybe wouldn't have retired as early. And you had six years of no immigrants, legal or illegal. And that's how you get three and a half percent unemployment. Like, I don't even think that's, I don't even think that's that, that complicated. Yeah. You wouldn't buy that? I don't know. Well, uh, the, the, dem- the demographic stuff, I definitely do. Um, but I think people are going to come back in. If you have one of these periods where markets suck for a while, you're going to have people come back into the workforce too. Okay. So then they'll come out of the woodwork. Um, and you have the underemployed too, which was a really big deal following the great financial crisis. I remember that. Right? I talk about it all the time. People that could get work but not full-time or people that were like in the gig economy and we weren't measuring them the same way that we measure salaried people, even if they were making the same amount of money. So that, that phenomenon is still with us. You know, think of like research associates or junior people in our business that left financial services in 2021 because they went and worked for a tech company and then they got fired. Yeah. Now, now they come, quote unquote, crawling back mm-hmm. at lower wages, though. Okay. We're not going to pay you what we paid you back then. And oh, by the way, you got to be in the office four days a week. And is anyone even really hiring? In in on Wall Street, no, we're we have a huge hangover from twenty twenty one, twenty two. Yeah, they're still right sizing that, but you know, hiring freezes everywhere. Okay, um, the Bob Iger Disney stuff. Are you following this? Yeah, I own the stock. Okay, this is Martin Piers from okay. the Information. You guys are uh, fist bumping it out. Good. I, I wish I was in the stock. Uh, Martin Piers from the Information. Quote: Bob Iger really should have run for president, as he once considered doing. His political instinct is unmatched at least among CEOs. On Wednesday in his first quarterly earnings call since returning to the top job, Iger offered something for everyone. A return of the dividend, layoffs, creative executives get their power back, traditional TV is still important, streaming is the future. He didn't say anything about cutting taxes, but you get the picture. If this was an election, which given activist Nelson Peltz's proxy challenge, it kind of is, you wouldn't bet against Iger. No. Wait, Josh, to add to that about him being a politician, somebody tweeted something along the lines of like, Iger is amazing. He came in and fixed all the problems that he started before he left. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's great. Uh, He would have shot down the balloon way sooner than Biden too, I feel like. Absolutely. Day one. Um, And it would have been a Pixar movie. Uh, 100 miles from U.S. border, that thing would have been down. So Disney's not like doing great, but they're not doing badly. And the problems are being addressed. And what I found interesting was – it seems like there is a post-tech bubble playbook now. Mm-hmm. I was talking about this on TV today. Like, if every CEO did this, the stock market would be fine. Correct. It's like, we're doing layoffs. Almost it almost doesn't even matter how many. It's just the point that you're not hiring, right? Um, dividend, buyback. Uh, dividend seems more important these days. Layoffs. Dividend, buyback, layoffs. Some more layoffs. That's a trifecta. Uh, and Everything then, in moderation. And then saying the word discipline a lot. And efficiency. So like Meta did this and 
this, they had a shitty earnings report, yeah. just not as bad as feared. But they said the magic words. So you think about things you know, and use the terms secular and cyclical. So do you think the communication services sector is a secular yes. type play, right? Well, I think streaming is. Yes. Okay, so let's go there. So what we did is that we cyclically got over our skis. Right. Yeah. Right. Everyone right? Went crazy. That Netflix Everyone chart. went nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and then they overspent and overgrew. And then now you're seeing the cyclical correction. Back to trend. Back to trend, normalization. But the secular growth is still there. Secular growth is still there. And there's going to be winners and losers. But it's just no different than any kind of traditional cyclical area. Like think about – like so I work – I work for BMO, and obviously I got to know a little bit about gold. Uh, and my big joke about gold miners are, you know, if they if they got cash in their in their pocket, they're digging the hole. Yeah. Right. However, the last ten years or so, the majority of gold publicly traded gold companies, mining companies, quote unquote, got religion. What they do? Cut costs, bought back stock, increased their oil dividends. too. Oil too. Yep. So then apply investing. Right. So apply that template onto these quote unquote secular growers. You can do it in communication services, but you can also do it in tech. All these stocks could be higher. This is just follow the playbook. This is streaming as a percentage of overall TV watching. In July 21 is 28%. And it's just growing, growing, growing. 30, 32, 33, 34, 35. This is one way. This is this this is only gonna grow. So in fairness though, to the communication services companies. It's not as though they were getting over their skis and going nuts in a vacuum. They were being rewarded for that behavior. Exactly. It was the market. Netflix right. went to $700 a share while they spent record amounts on content. But we, but think about what was going on, though, during, in this country. I mean, we were Mania. on lockdown mode, It was also right? the stay-at-home. They saved Calwind. us. Yeah. Netflix saved us. Tiger King. Netflix probably is the reason we didn't have a civil war. Tiger King ended I, the I pandemic. Would, I would say. Tiger King. It might have. No, I— it, it, I was saying this the other day, like absent the cloud, like how nothing would have worked. No. Mm. So we we could have like really had a if societal it, If the pandemic was 20 years earlier, what would have happened? Uh, I don't know. What ended the last pandemic? What if we just no, had I'm a saying, really I'm well saying without, populace? Yeah, exactly. Without, yeah. without the oh, ability, everyone would have turned to books? Without the ability to work remotely. What would have happened in 19, uh, in 2003, a pandemic like that? I think maybe societal breakdown. Honestly, I I don't know what people would have done with themselves is, is my point. So like saying Netflix saved us like facetiously, but it like probably it helped. I think Robin Hood maybe saved the day a little bit. Give people, <laughs> give people shit to do. I don't know what else we would have. What would you have done? In, Call in, of Duty saved the day. What mm. would you have done in 2003? Listen to Coldplay and then what? On a CD and then robbed each other's houses. I don't know what, like what else would people have done? Probably riots in the street. <laughs> All right, we'll keep going. <laughs> Uh, Microsoft, Google. Hey, Brian, can you remember hey. a time since it came public in 04 that uh, Google ever seemed like it was this vulnerable? No. I mean, they, th this stock is shook. The shareholders are shook. Um, Google market cap is down $100 billion in a couple of days since they tried to demo their AI yeah. in reaction to Microsoft and OpenAI and uh, Google's AI got a really easy question wrong, <laughs> and the stock went down eight percent yesterday, five percent today. Is this a massive overreaction? Maybe correct. It is. 
Yeah. Google's going to figure this shit out. Do you right? really want to bet against Google? I, so I'm a no shareholder. I don't. Way. Okay. By the way, Josh, yes. Follow the yeah. cash. But I also don't like this as a shareholder. <laughs> I don't like what's No, going of course. On. Josh, we were talking about the AI bubble yesterday. And yeah. I know it's it's only just started. Uh, AI is down 14% today. Thank God. Sa SIUN is down 30%. What was the other one? Is there a bear? Big bear. Big bear. What's yeah. the ticker? BBAI. Sorry, Duncan. Uh, Big Bear was down 11% today. All right, whatever. It'll double next week. Um, all right, so listen. This is my. This is what I was thinking. This is a really exciting <laughs> showdown. Microsoft versus Google. They kind of competed on Office products. Like uh, Google basically duplicated Word and Excel and, oh, docs and all Outlook yeah. became Gmail. Like, all right, so there's like a low level. I don't want to say hostility, but this thing seems really big. Like, Google has 97% of the search market or something. Mm -hmm. And now for the first time, it seems like there might be a two-horse race. I don't want to say, like, everyone's going to start binging things, but I don't know. What do you, what do you think about this? You know, I, I, I think about AI like I think about energy transition. So what are, what are the best energy transition names? Exxon, Chevron, BP. The old, the old, Shell. Because the, they have the most money and the they'll old figure it out. companies are the new companies. They'll figure it out. That's so, uh, so that's how I feel, but the market doesn't. Well, the market, the market might be wrong. Uh, so listen to this. In a conference call with analysts held Tuesday in connection with the Bing announcement, Microsoft's CFO, Amy Hood, noted that search advertising accounts for about 40% of the $500 billion digital advertising market. On that call, the CFO for Microsoft Windows, Devices, and Search Businesses added, here's the money quote, the coup de grace, they say, for every one point of share gain in the search advertising market, it's a $2 billion revenue opportunity for our advertising business. These are big numbers. Microsoft wants, is coming These are for big numbers. 40%. Is, and if they would have said this two years ago, you would have laughed. Yeah. Like Bing is going to take market share from yeah. Google. Yeah, it was, it was really laughable. And maybe, they, and maybe they won't, and we'll look back on this, but I'm just saying... The, the reaction in but Alphabet share price is wild. But Microsoft didn't really pop. Google just got killed. Because Microsoft owns a, an investment in OpenAI. They don't, it's not their subsidiary. So, And there's some Microsoft worry about the Activision stuff. And people are, are, are also looking on, uh, on that with respect to what's going to happen. But I think, I think is it, is it, are we running into one of these situations where um, – the new Coke and Pepsi is Microsoft and Google because for a lot of time we thought the the old um, the new Coke and Pepsi are going to be Google and Apple. Yeah. So I think that just accentuates why Apple is out on its own. Island. One of the things that's interesting is when the Fangs were going through that period of time where every month they became a bigger part of the S and P. Yeah. And their earnings kept growing, like eighteen, nineteen. We like what company could ever challenge? It turns out they have to just turn on each other. And yep. that's how you get those multiples to calm down and those market caps to deflate. And that's what we're seeing here. Apple f***ed up Facebook with the iOS privacy changes. Microsoft versus Google now in search of all things. That's how you get the fangs to be a less important part of the market. They have to eat each other. They yep. get so big that that's the only war left. So I kind of thought that was interesting. Um, you think it's an over overreaction? Yeah, I do. Okay. Do you have fun on the show today? It's terrible. I, right, I this, can't, the, this is the halfway point, so I just wanted oh, to. Oh, really? No. <laughs> so, why does it have Brian to be Belsky, so long? Brian ladies and gentlemen. Why does it have to be so long? It was September to February. I mean, you guys are so you know. This is like this is like the the shiz right here. I mean, this is where you want people to be. We love we, it, dude. Let me tell you, this is this uh this is a top ten investing podcast now in America. 
Every weekend we release the new episode. Yeah, wait till we get into AI. The next time you come on, <laughs> the next time you come on, we're going to be AI enabled, and this is going to be top five. Top five. And, yeah, and and you're going to be part of that that I journey. It. I love it. What do you think about that? I'm on board. Duncan, what do you think? What do you think? You know, you need to find Excited. that movie. You ever seen the movie Some Kind of Wonderful? I have not. I do. You're in the dumper, Duncan. Remember that line? You're in the dumper, oh, Duncan. Shit. You got to get that quote. I don't remember that line. That's the one where. His best friend turns out to be the girl of his dreams yeah. all this time. So Duncan, it was is the- Is that Eric Stoltz? Yeah, Eric Stoltz. Duncan um, is, the, is the skinhead, and they end up being buddies okay. because they were in detention. In, Wait, remember this like part? actual skinhead? No, like he had, like no, he had like a skinhead uh, tattoo. I mean, this okay. was the early '80s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Eric Stoltz was in. Oh um, my god! <laughs> yeah, lose your job. I'm in the dumper, Duncan. Yes, that's uh, his dad. Is the security that's guard? Quite a reference. Never and seen this. Eric Stoltz is bringing his girlfriend to the art gallery, and if you. That's a sick reference, job. bro. I mean, that's that that that's a that's a deep what's cut. What's the best oh, yeah. like movie? Dun- what's the best movie or TV show, Duncan? Besides some kind of wonderful, with Can your you name quoted. Uh, oh, I got one for you. We were talking about Duncan's Prin- toy chest. No. Oh, is that Home Alone? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Prince of Thieves. Back to Robin Hood. The the blind helper. The guy. He like he he gets oh, his you're eyes right. poked out. It's, it's Duncan. Duncan. Are you serious? Yeah. That is I right. That. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think I think you got to go back I'm and watch Nigga the movie. Matoya, All right, stick with the Really important character. I'll give my favorite for the week. So I'm a huge fan of watching movies on an airplane for two reasons. Number one, well, what else is there to do on an airplane? But number two, there's no distractions, like zero distractions, right? You're not on your phone. You're just watching a movie. So it can either make a shitty action movie just great. Sit next to me sometime. It can, <laughs> it can, well, what are you doing? No, nothing. It can, you sleep. It can, even make, it can either make a shitty action movie great or a decent action movie. Like Bullet Train is a perfect airplane movie. Uh, yeah. I, I actually watched like, that on an airplane. Yeah, it's so much better on an airplane. It can also make a movie that's good but boring that you wouldn't watch at home. A very good movie. So this is an old movie that I never saw. It's I've been it's been on my list. I finally saw Kramer versus Kramer. I Did would, you cry like a baby? It was great. I would never ever watch it on my couch. I'd be That's bored. Dustin Hoffman getting a divorce and Meryl, Meryl Streep. Yeah. Okay. And they and they have one kid. Yeah. And kid. it's just it's just Dustin Hoffman just carrying the, the movie. kid. Okay. You want to go deep on this? You know who the kid was? Justin Henry. I googled him. Is yeah, but name? you know what other movie he was no, in? No, I don't. What else? Sixteen Candles. He was the smart-ass oh, wow. little brother for in Sixteen Candles. Oh wow! Look at that. When when did this movie come out? Nineteen eighty-one. Okay. 80 or 81. 16 Candles was like 85. 84, 85. But so, no, it won Best Picture. And I'm pretty sure Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, he won the Oscar. Yeah, yeah. He was incredible. He was, yeah. what a, it was 81, I think, because the next year they made Tootsie with it. Yeah. And, that I never saw. Yeah, really? Yeah, never so saw when, if you're on the airplane, do you use closed captions so you can actually. I always use closed captions yeah. every time. 79. That's, 79. Wow. 79 was. Yeah. Really? But so I would never watch it at home. I'd be, I'd be bored. I'd, I'd, I'd go do something else. Isn't it? It's depressing though, right? No, nah, not for it's me. It's depressing. Does it have a well, happy ending? No. Well, listen, I grew up with parents of divorce. So for me, I felt right at home. Yeah. But not like that. I try my not parents to were good. stuff. It's so funny. <laughs> I, grew, I grew up, I didn't quite grow up, but my parents got divorced and I like deliberately steer clear of like all these shows. No, I love divorce watches. movies. Uh, the Fish I, of the Whale, Squid on the Whale. This is Doubtfire too. Love it. Oh, well that, f- I mean, I was like, I, that my parents just got divorced and then yeah. two months later my dad took yeah, me to that, see that. That's PTSD. That was, that was like, dad, why can't you be our fucking <laughs> housekeeper? <laughs> Get the vacuum out. <laughs> dad, sneak, sneak into the dress. Um, here's my favorite. This guy, Taylor Sheridan, does not miss. No. Do you, he does not miss. Oh, holy so shit. Is one of the best characters in television history. She has one of the best lines on I've Yellowstone. Ever, yes. Okay. When she walks in and she says, "I hope you die of ass cancer." Right. That's one of the uh, best lines line. I've 
ever heard. Wait, what are you watching? The, what are you watching now? <laughs> what on? Going with Harrison Ford? No, All right. no. Which Tulsa one? King. Oh, it's good. I can't. Is it good? So good. Is it good? Really? I love Sylvester Stallone. Well, and obviously. I'm a. You got to understand, I'm an '80s baby, and Rocky is like Rocky is like my the like the thing that like Rocky Star Wars. So. I just love anything he does, but he's actually really acting in this. Okay, you didn't see Samaritan then. I was oh done. my God, oh, no, I watched that I on an airplane. Tell- I watched <laughs> okay. that on an airplane. Terrible movie. But, but good airplane. It was a good, great, yeah. was a great airplane exactly. movie. That's the thing. Taylor Sheridan doesn't write garbage. Okay. Listen, it's not like the most intellectual show. It's Sylvester Stallone playing a mobster in Oklahoma, just like crushing people's heads. But it's just, it's great. And the other one that's even better, um, what's the one with Jeremy Renner? Uh, oh, oh, is that the prison one? The mayor, mayor of Kingstown. King- Holy shit! I never saw that. You I've this? never seen that. Is it good? Good. It's it's it's. I think it's as good as anything that I'm watching. That's right a prison now. show. No, it's better. It's a town in Michigan that has four prisons in it, and he is this guy on the outside that has relationships with both criminals and the guards and the police. Didn't I just say is that a prison show? No, because it doesn't take place in the prison. It takes place in the town that houses the prison. And this is all Paramount. It, dude, right? Jeremy, Jeremy Renner is underrated, and it's yeah, Taylor yeah. Sheridan, and it's just everything this guy touches. Heller Highwater awesome. was great. You ever see Heller Highwater? I did see that. That was awesome. Yeah. Anyway, big uh, big recommendation for both those shows. Have you brought us a favorite today? Samaritan. Samaritan. <laughs> that was really bad. No offense. No offense to Amazon, but that movie Oh, my sucked. gosh. I don't was have that a Amazon? It was, I don't. So what do you do with all this travel? How do you How do you spend your time? Listening you know, to the I compound used to, and friends. I will tell you, because I've traveled so much, uh, I never used to be able to sleep on airplanes. Now you have I no sleep, choice. No, yeah. I have no choice. Mm. And I do download. Um, I actually, the thing that I watched most recently on Netflix is I downloaded uh, World War II in color. Mm. Mm. I've Amazing. Seen some of that. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I just watched the episode about Battle of the Bulge. Which, How do they do that? I don't know. It's, it's I mean, it's cool. It looks like it's the right colors. Like if you just had to guess, it looks like they, they do a good job of it. But it also accentuated how great like Band of Brothers was. Have you ever seen, or the Pacific? Have you ever seen, you remember? Both. It's been oh my gosh. I mean a million years ago, but yeah. Like rewatch Band of Brothers. It's just an amazing. Was that Battle of the Bulge? Battle of the Bulge. Okay. That's what Band of Brothers was. That, that's remember they're it, in the trees and the, yeah, yeah. and what is that? Up? Uh, the, the forests on the border of Germany and France? Germany Where, and, and Belgium. Germany and the Belgium. Germans um, did a surprise attack, and they based their entire attack on weather. Shitty weather, super cold, and they, they were losing the war, and they did a counteroffensive uh, because they knew that the, the Allies couldn't bomb them, and they retook ground into Belgium, and then— That's the bulge. It's the that's formation. the bulge. There's the a formation. bulge. Yeah, so they held, didn't hold the line, so there was a bulge in the line, literally. And then the the— Literally, the fog cleared, and the Allies came in and bombed the shit out of them. I mean, like several hundred thousand Oh, they thought Germans. they had the weather on their side. Yep. And then it's, okay, yeah, I got it. It was read. kind of the last-ditch effort, and then after that, there was clear sailing right into Germany. So which should I, I should watch uh, History and co- what is it called? World History, War II and World Color? War II and History and Color, yeah. It's, it's on I've Netflix. seen like one episode of it, and Me, it looked pretty, looked pretty great. Me too. I did the same. All right, dude, we're going to let you get out of here. Um, you're enjoying New York while you're here? I always love New York. Any Where's good re- dinner? Any good restaurants? Where's yes. dinner? Where are you going? So, um, brand new one. Have you been to 53 yet? Mm-hmm. No. 53 is 53 53rd Street. Okay. Asian Fusion. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
really good. I've never even heard of it. Yeah. I'm going to a polo bar tonight, not to brag. So. <laughs> Are you going to wear a jacket? No, but I'll probably be in page six tomorrow. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, all right. Hey, uh, we want to thank Brian Belsky for being part of the show today. Returning guest, Brian Belsky. Thank you. Thank where you. Where can people follow you? BMO has a, a website where yep. people that want yep. your research can sign yep. up. Just sign up on uh, or send me an email. And if you're a client, we'll sign you up. And I'm on the Twitter machine, too. I don't say anything. But also, the only other social media I'm on is LinkedIn. Okay. And I put my uh, TV stuff on there. You don't say anything on uh, Twitter? You just, Never. What are you doing there? I just want to see what bad things people are saying about me. Oh, come on. <laughs> don't do that. Never, never, never read your own mentions. All right. Shout out to Brian Belsky. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate it. Duncan, anything else before we go? Nope. Think we're all set? All set. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. And all right. Good rehearsal. Everybody warmed up now? Put those cans back on. Here in the dumper, Duncan. Ritholtz Wealth Management is coming to Chicago for the first time in, what's this mean with Chicago? Four years? 2018? I think 18 for me. Pre-pandemic. We are going to be seeing advisors that are interested in working with us. We're going to be visiting clients and prospects that are interested in working with us. I, I know people say this and it's usually not true. However, sometimes it's not true. Slots are literally running out. If you are interested in meeting with us, we're going to be there March 6th through March 8th. Where do people find us? Well, info at RitholtzWealth.com is where you can get in touch and schedule a time to meet with us. The whole gang is going to be there. It's, uh, I guess, once in a lifetime if you really want to. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we'll probably be back in Chicago. Yeah, I guess we'll go it's, back. It's once once in the 2023 lifetime. That's right. So we're coming March 6th, 7th, 8th. Info at RitholtzWealth.com. We're here to talk about your portfolio, your financial plan your life, the stuff that really matters, get in touch and we would love to sit down and chat.